So welcome to Halal Money Matters. I'm Christopher Patton. I'm Monim Salam. We are not in the same room. It's been a crazy time, Chris. Uh, you know, we've yeah. been I've I've been actually stuck at home for about since early March. Yeah, yeah. And same, just to let same. you know, in my entire life, this is the longest I've ever been without traveling anywhere. Oh, yeah. I know you're quite a, a traveler. You have. Yeah, a, it's, it's I, been I, really I recently weird. learned you had a goal of the amount of countries that you wanted to visit in your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm at 72 right now and I need to get to 100. Yeah, well, this, um, I, this year's a bit of a setback, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, and that actually feeds into this episode. We want to uh, talk about Hajj, not just what is it, what's the obligation, what does it entail, uh, what does it normally look like, and then what does this year look like? And then beyond that, what are the financial considerations, saving, um, and ideas for that and strategies and that type of thing? Yeah, we have a very special guest that we're going to be uh, joined by, uh, Imam Tahir Anwar from the Bay Area. You know, you know, Masha, he's an American Muslim scholar and a preacher. Um, he's been in the Bay Area since 1983, but uh, he was actually born in, in London, England. Um, very active in the San Jose uh, Muslim community. Um, he's been, you know... Um, a founder uh, and a board member, actually, of of of, a, of an Islamic school there. He's a lecturer at Daytona College, and more importantly, I think you know he's been on multiple. Like I think for the past decade, he's been on every single Hajj. You know, we're going to talk to him about this, but this is probably the first time in a long time that he's actually not gone and actually mm. spent time with the family. So I'm really excited about the show. Yeah, I'm I'm very eager to learn about all the preparation that goes into it, uh, and him being an authority on that element of things. And uh, here are some of his experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think uh, I think what 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 our listeners will really I think also enjoy is going to be ways that they can actually save for Hutch towards the end of this uh, presentation. Because I mean, you know, it's, the costs are rising very rapidly uh, above inflation, and and not everybody can just you know on a dime just decide to pay to twelve thousand dollars to go. So yeah, how, yeah, how do we come up with strategies to do that would be good also. Yeah. All right. Should we just dive into that then? Let's do it. All right. Uh, thanks, Imam Tahir, for for joining us. Um, you know, well, let's start off and just talk a little bit from an overall perspective about Hajj. And just from if you from Islamic obligation part of it, and and what people should be expecting, those type of things. Sure, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Uh, you know, it's uh, of course it's very evident, and we all know that you know there's five pillars in Islam, and the last of which happens to be Hajj pilgrimage to Mecca. And um, when I normally teach my annual workshop, what I end up telling people is that. Uh, you know, as far as the Shahada, the first obligation, it's something that we learn and internalize at a very young age. Soon after we begin to pray our namaz, of course, it becomes, uh, you know, the prayer becomes obligatory much later in life. But, you know, in a Muslim family, you're probably starting to pray or at least making the motions from a very early age, followed by fasting. And then at some point in life, you know, you start paying your zakat, your alms. Um, but this uh, last pillar is really a big deal because once usually you've done all the other obligations by the time you get to this one uh, for, for most people. And, and for many people, uh, it could be, you know, after having performed the other obligations for decades by the time they get to make it for Hajj. Of course, uh, you know, things are a little different now. We get to see a lot more younger people at Hajj uh, than, you know, we've seen in the past, historically speaking, um, and even in the modern age. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a moment of excitement. And 
it's fulfilling. You, you, you've always heard about fulfilling this uh, pillar, fulfilling this obligation, and people have so many different uh, circumstances as a result of which, uh, you know, pe some people are not able to go sooner than later. And so when that moment finally does come, or you start thinking about it or intending it or preparing for it, it's a really, really big deal. And then of course, uh, the journey to uh, modern day uh, Saudi Arabia and our journey to, uh, you know, Mecca and Medina and then the outskirts of Mecca where we perform the actual obligation. And, and you know, you come back, uh, of course, spiritually speaking, the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam, peace be upon him, reminds us, that you come back as if the day your mother gave you birth, you know, all your shortcomings and your sins have been uh, forgiven. Uh, but, you know, not just that, but most people come back from Hajj with a renewed sense of purpose uh, for their own selves, uh, for their families, for their communities. And so it's, it's a pretty big deal. And, and the reality is that the amount of people that perform Hajj every year um, is well into the millions. So you have, you know, millions of people performing Hajj and literally, uh, you know, changing uh, their entire lives, uh, not just after they come back from Hajj, but literally, uh, you know, preparing and going into uh, this, um, going into Hajj. You know, it's really interesting, Imam Tahir, you mentioned this about, um, uh, you know, going at a later age in, in your life or going at a younger age. Um, you know, I think in the U.S. we kind of sometimes take it for granted that we can go whenever we want. Um, sure. When I was in Malaysia and lived there, I kind of found out they have a Hajj fund called Tabung Haji. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people actually start when they're 20s, when they first start to work and they start putting money in. And when you start putting in, you get a number on, of a waiting list. And that waiting list is about 30 to 40 years long. Yeah. So even so, if they wanted to go earlier, they, they just couldn't do it. And so, I, I, you, know, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as an individual uh, from America who gets to organize Hajj, I mean, we could sit here for hours and I could just share stories with you. Uh, but I'll, I'll share two very quick stories with you. Uh, we have a, a Uyghur uh, family in our community and um, it has not been possible for them to go for Hajj. Um, and so this individual, as you know, many immigrants want to land a, you know, come here as students, want to land a job and then, you know, get a green card. Um, this individual's intent to get a green card and become a citizen was really just one. And it really wasn't while part of it was to settle down in America, but he said, one of the greatest reasons why I want this is so that I can apply for my parents to come to America and then allow them to be able to go for Hajj from here because they're not allowed to go. You know, it's not possible for them to go for Hajj from where they are. So we, you know, we really take it for granted. The other thing is that, yes, we are, we are able to go really whenever we want. And, and the vast majority of, you know, Muslims, uh, educated Muslims, at least, um, you know, it's, it's very easy. It's about, you know, we're, 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 able to buy cars or lease cars and so on and so forth. If we just kind of put some of that money together within a year or two, you could be ready and on your way to Hajj. But, you know, I recall, and this is the second story, what I recall was, this was a few years ago, I was, I was traveling from Makkah to Mina after we had performed our tawaf. And, you know, we were all just crammed up in, in the back of a land cruiser. This was many, many years ago. And I, I still remember I met this elderly individual from Pakistan and uh, 
uh, you know, we began this conversation and he made a very interesting point. He said that there is no way that Allah cannot accept my Hajj, my pilgrimage. It's a very bold statement because generally we'll say things like, Allah, please accept my Hajj. But he was like, there's no. And so I, I asked him in Urdu, I said, Haji Sab, you know, how? Uh, and and he, his response was that um, I have worked my entire life uh, and collected my halal income to be able to perform Hajj. And at a very old age, I've been able to perform Hajj. And had I done things otherwise, I could have fulfilled this obligation earlier. But I wanted to make sure that every bit of income that I had used to fulfill my obligation was 100% halal. So, yeah, you're right. You know, we do take it for granted where in, in many parts of the world, either they're not able to travel or they're not financially able to do so. Um, or just I mean, have, this, like you said, Malaysia, humongous yeah. waiting lists. Well, yeah, that's right. Because they you know the, 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 the funny thing about the calculation of how good, uh, people get visas, and you can correct me if, if, if I'm wrong, but it's based on the population of your country, regardless of whether you're Muslim or not. Correct. So 300 million people has a certain formula. We have the same number of people going as Indonesia. Indonesia Correct. is 95% Muslim, uh, Muslim. We're like not even 2% Muslim. Right? Yeah. But it's, so, that's, that's, the, that's the game, uh, not the game, but that's just how the numbers are, are run. And, and, and so, the number, so. you know, I, you know uh, Allah has uh, been kind enough to me to be able to be a part of uh, Hajj preparations uh, for almost the last two decades now. What I'm seeing is uh, the, the, um, the number of people traveling to Hajj from the United States is definitely growing. And the number of younger people are, that are going is definitely growing, you know, and, and this like right around right now, uh, you know, we would be preparing for Hajj. So every day I'm having this conversation with some of my close friends and, and, you know, that, you know, this is what we would have been doing. So two weeks ago, I was on my way to Dallas briefly and, uh, you know, my calendar had actually said Hajj workshop. And uh, year after year, we hold this massive six-hour, 300-person Hajj workshop along with a massive breakfast and lunch. And, you know, we go through about 90 slides. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a really big deal. And the volunteers that have been doing this for the last, uh, you know, so many years really look forward to this day, like preparing for it and inviting all the people and seeing the excitement on their faces and all the questions that they have. And sort of the worries that they have and helping alleviate those fears. Uh, you know, it's just, it's, you're just there and then kind of reminiscing that, oh, it's now been, it's, it, it's about two weeks before we would have left for Hajj, which means right now we'd have been in the hustle bustle of receiving those passports and, you know, someone reaching out and saying, you know, I didn't get my ID or when am I getting my passport? What's the FedEx track? I mean, this, this would have been it. And, and for me, truly, this is the journey of a lifetime and being able to be a part of a pe you know, people's journey to Hajj you know, I, I generally know people in my community through two things. One, uh, I've performed their nikah or um, I've had the honor of performing hajj with them. Like that's literally how. And so it, this is a it's, it's kind of hard uh, what we're going through right now. I'm almost kind of feeling a little teary here, um, just kind of, you know, missing all of that. But, you know, it's, you know, whatever, whatever the almighty has planned for us is best for all of us. No, that's, that's so true. So what, 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 can you just give a quick, maybe a, sh a short summary of what, what you would be doing now, but what does Hajj look like? 
in, in a so, traditional, you know. Thing. Yeah. So, you know, um, and this is the beauty about, you know, Muslims in America, we, we like to prepare for things. We like to be, you know, we like to make sure. So generally about six months, six to eight months before Hajj, people will start reaching out and say, hey, you know, we're looking to go for Hajj. Uh, start booking their airline tickets, start putting in their deposits, or even starting to, you know, slowly uh, give money towards, you know, their payment. Um, by Ramadan, uh, we are usually collecting all the documents, passports, meningitis, you know, pictures, and so on and so forth. And then about four to six weeks after Ramadan is when we uh, start receiving the visas from the consulate, um, you know, of Saudi Arabia uh, to be able to travel and so right around this time, uh, you know, about two weeks before our departure, scheduled departure, uh, we would be receiving our passports, uh, the workshop, maybe even shopping for certain specific things. You know, I mean, people have different needs, medical needs, physical needs, uh, spiritual needs. You know, you're trying to get that one, your, your hands on a certain mushaf that you've always wanted or a book of dua that you've wanted or a certain kind of a camping chair or a certain kind of a water bottle, you know, different things. And this is what we would be going through. A lot of questions. This is around the time when I would be fielding just a ton of questions via email on a daily basis from different people. Uh, and then, of course, we would travel to Hajj, uh, depending on, you know, we either go to Mecca first or Medina first, um, you know, carrying our ihram, learning how to put on our, just the excitement, you know, putting on our ihram, um, it not working out the first time you do it, um, you know, feeling awkward wearing it. Uh, and then, of course, getting ready for, uh, for Hajj. Um, and, you know, most, most American Hajjaj will end up going for anywhere between about, with travel time, about 15 and 20 days. That's usually the norm from the United States, unlike many other uh, Muslim populated countries where you're probably coming for maybe four or five, even up to six weeks. Um, so it's usually for us, it's sort of kind of get in, you know, be prepared and make sure you know what you're doing, do Hajj and then immediately come back home. And of course, while we are there in Mecca and Medina, we're usually preparing, praying, and just um, a lot of reflection. Just and it's interesting you mentioned this. Um, I, I noticed also uh, when I went for Hajj, Again, this is one of those things that we've, I've, we're very blessed to be able to do that. A lot of people actually bring their wares and they have to use Hajj as a trading opportunity to Absolutely. afford it and do, do, to be able to live even during those two, three weeks of the, or five, the four or five weeks that they're there. So my so. own cousins uh, who come from uh, India, uh, the, their, their tour operator will tell them things like, you're allowed to take two bags per the airline, but you're only allowed to take one. And the reason behind it is because the other bag or the other piece is usually some dry food item like lentils or rice or something along those lines that the tour operator is actually taking with them to Saudi Arabia um, because in the hotels that they stay in, um, they're, you know, the tour operators are usually cooking for all the hujaj before the days of Hajj. So it's, we have our, by the way, our experience, and you know, I've compared my experience to that of many others um, over the years, uh, our experience is a, is a, as Americans uh, going from the United States is a very, very different experience compared to the vast majority of the hujaj there, including locals, right? I've actually had locals that are slightly um, surprised at how much luxury we are afforded you know, because, and you know, it's, it's natural, you know, you're thinking, well, it's, it's my land, I'm the local, you know, I should have all these privileges, but 
you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with it. This is what Allah has decreed for us. This is Allah's nasib for us. And I tell people, we should not feel that there's any decrease in, in this, in our, in our, you know, in our hajj or in our reward. This is just what Allah has decreed for us. And we're, we're very grateful for, uh, for what we've been uh, given. Now that said, you know, hajj is no walk in the park. Uh, you know, it's, it is a grueling journey. It's in the summer these days. So it's hot there, you know, um, buses and trains running on time. Sometimes food is a little delayed, you know, logistics here and there, uh, you can get ill. And so, uh, ultimately I think that the way Allah has, um, you know, planned Hajj for everyone, that everyone goes through some level of, um, sacrifice regardless of how much luxuries they're afforded. Uh, you know, as Americans, we are so used to taking certain things for granted. Uh, and some of those are sometimes taken away from us uh, during the journey. And so that is our sacrifice. And for others, the things that we take for granted would have been luxuries to begin with. So they have different kinds of sacrifices. But ultimately, you know, um, anyone and everyone that ever returns uh, from Hajj, you know, it's just the most powerful feeling in the world. And most people will say something like, how come I didn't do this earlier? I mean, now that we've got like kind of painted a picture here, what, what do you say to somebody who is dealing with, maybe was all geared up to go this year and is dealing with the disappointment of uh, having that journey disrupted by COVID? So, you know, the, there, there's a lot, there's a, a lengthy conversation around the fact, you know, oh my God, is Hajj going to be canceled? And some people will use language like Hajj has been canceled. Uh, first of all, um, there have been um, in our history, and in fact, I delivered an entire sermon around this two, three weeks ago. Um, historically, there have been many, many times where Hajj didn't happen at all. Um, as a result of uh, wars, as a result of plagues, as a result of diseases, or the amount of people that would be coming to Hajj would be heavily um, decreased as a result of certain diseases and so on and so forth. So has something like this happened in the past? Absolutely. Um, the, the steps that the current administration in Saudi Arabia have taken to not allow for, you know, people from other countries to come for Hajj, I actually commend them. That is not an easy decision. Um, but, be, uh, you know, we are definitely seeing right here at home and in other parts of the world that uh, what we thought would be something that we would be able to overcome in a few weeks is only coming back stronger. And the last thing we would want is people who are not so used to uh, having hygiene, being on airplanes, masks, and so on and so forth. So I think that was a, I, I commend the administration uh, for their decision. Um, while I thought that the amount of people performing Hajj this year would be in the tens of thousands, I'm actually being told that it may actually be less than 10,000 in total, which is a really big deal compared to the millions. But to answer your qu question specifically, Chris, is um, definitely uh, disappointment, uh, tears, um, heartbroken. Um, but, you know, honestly, uh, we, we truly believe as, as Muslims that uh, the Almighty, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, has a plan for all of us and has a decree for all of us. And 
this is what was decreed for us. And as a result of our patience, right, because we're reminded that in times of difficulty, we're to remain strong and we're to be patient and ask God for assistance. And so, um, you know, as a result of our patience, there's reward in it for us. As a result of our patience, I truly believe that people that in, intended to go for Hajj, inshallah, they'll get a reward for Hajj. And in fact, because of their patience, their reward will be increased many fold. And maybe as a result of their submitting to the will of God, to the will of Allah, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would bless them with the opportunity to do more Hajj in the future than that had been decreed for them earlier on. We don't know, right? We truly submit to Allah. And, and when we submit to Allah and say, Allah, this is a part of your plan. And if this is your plan, as much as I um, am, am upset and angry and, and, and feeling heartbroken, I submit to your plan. Um, we truly believe that Allah will return, um, uh, you know, that many fold uh, for us. And you know, what I've been... Go ahead. I was going to say, it was interesting that you mentioned that because if you made the intention for Hajj this year and not able to go, but then because of that, you're going to be able to go next year, you've actually done two Hajj rather than one. Not just right? that, Mona I truly <laughs> believe that as a result of our patience, what if Allah says you were so patient and you were so submissive to, the dec- to my decree that I'm going to allow you to perform uh, 10 more Hajj before, you, before it's time for you to leave this world? We don't know. That's the beauty of that's the beauty of our, our of, of our beautiful tradition, right? That um, you know we truly submit to Allah. One of as I was saying, you know, in our community specifically, I've been telling people, um, you know, yes, yes, it's hard. I'm not I'm not denying it. But have we thought about the fact that we're still safe, healthy, in our homes? You know, things could be so much worse uh, right now. I was at our local graveyard yesterday and. We had a COVID-related uh, burial, and uh, the brother who manages the graveyard, who helps with the, uh, uh, you know, gra- uh, the, the burials, uh, you know, I asked him, and he said that um, this is only our second, and this is the, the, the larger, primarily Muslim graveyard in the Bay Area. He said this is only our second COVID-related burial in the last six months. He goes, the first one was in January, so ever since things got really bad in March, this is only our second one. You know, there's many Muslim communities who are battling with COVID-related deaths right here in our country. Let's not talk about the rest of the world. Uh, and, and our community is still, you know, we're still so lucky. So, yes, it's hard. But this is, this is by the will and design of Allah. And then what are you supposed to do? Go for Hajj and, God forbid, get sick? You know, I mean, really? And, and, and you know, you hear some people who are overly enthusiastic and, and saying things like, oh, I would much rather be in Hajj and pass away. You know, things along those lines. But, you know, our tradition teaches us to not go into harm's path. When, you, when we know that there's something that may uh, be of harm to you, uh, then, you know, we're, we're required, the, the preservation of life, is something that we are required. And, and so it's just part of that plan. I mean, it's kind of, we joke around sometimes, but really it's like hajjus for two weeks, but your recovery period afterwards is another two weeks, right? Like everybody gets sick. It's a so lot more than that. Imagine, yeah. imagine having to go this in this environment. <laughs> I jokingly tell people, uh, if you don't get sick during hajj, you're definitely going to get sick on the plane on the way back because of all the people coughing around you. And so can you imagine, God, Allah forbid, that if there was one person on that on that plane ride back home who was ill and while you remain safe all the way through you know and so so you know yeah we we have to be careful so let me ask you a question you know um you're from california northern california 
Yes. Um, and I've, I've visited them many times. And a lot of times, you know, um, you go out and I say, wow, it's such a beautiful day. And California, Northern Californians don't even realize it because they have beautiful days every single day. So, you know, you've been going for, you know, mashallah, for a very long time. And, and maybe it's kind of become something where like, oh, okay, it's another Hajj. But I just one story, what is the one thing that you think you're going to miss the most about Hajj? Yeah. Um, you know, Mun'im, you'll probably understand this a little more than Chris, but, you know, uh, a very common uh, question for a lot of people is, you know, which one do you prefer, Medina or Mecca? Um, Mecca is where the Grand Mosque is and Medina is where, um, you know, the Prophet's tomb is. And um, while Medina has a very, very special place in my heart and it's very, there's a lot of sukoon and tranquility there and I love Medina, I'm not denying it, but uh, over the years I have truly come to um, accept the fact that I am, I personally am a Mecca person. Um, I, I enjoy the energy uh, at the Kaaba and just, just being there, like just, you know, you feel like you're in the presence of the Almighty. And um, I think that's going to be, uh, there's a lot more I can say, and I'm going to add one more thing to that. But really, to answer your question, I'm, I'm going to miss seeing the Kaaba and mm -hmm. just making tawaf around it. And, and then, of course, the dua on the day of Arafah, because the, the Prophet, alayhi salatu wasalam, peace be upon him, reminds us that every prayer you make on Arafah is an accepted one. And, and when, when the sun sets on, on the day of Arafah, on the ninth of Dhul Hijjah, all of your sins are forgiven. And uh, people who perform Hajj fairly regularly, we, you know, people take that for granted. And, um, you know, some of us friends, uh, you know, we've been kind of talking, what are we going to do this year? And so, you know, there's talks of fasting the first nine days of the Hijjah and just, you know, just kind of making sure that we do our part to continue to remain in gratitude and in a state of um, um, submission and obedience uh, to the Almighty. But um, yes, that's, that's going to be uh, one. But, you know, honestly, Mun'im, on a lighter note, and maybe, you know, I, I am looking forward to spending time with my family. I'm, I'm making arrangements for the Eid al-Adha sacrifice. And I, it's so foreign to me right now. Uh, it's something that, you know, it's like I'm kind of like looking true. for the right place because I, I haven't done it, you know, in, 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 in forever. Um, and had it been safe to travel, um, you know, uh, I would have wanted to go to India to perform sacrifice there because Eid al-Adha in a, you know, largely Muslim populated country is very, very different. Uh, you know, and, you know, you get to be of service to, to people that are, uh, you know, not so privileged. Um, but of course, we're going to be at home this year. So uh, it's going to be different, inshallah. And I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, alhamdulillah, I'm grateful. Um, I have one question. I watched one of your talks about religious identity. And mm -hmm. you spoke about challenges for this and future generations in terms of protecting traditions. Mm -hmm. And you talked about, you know, the, the increase in numbers of people making the pilgrimage. But do you think that as a practice, Hajj is strong? Or can you foresee challenges there beyond COVID in, in the coming years? You know, I think uh, the greatest challenge is going to be the number of people performing Hajj. The infrastructure, uh, you know, the ease. Uh, uh, the current administration is very big on the Hajj experience. In other words, if, if 
a haji had anything wrong happened to them, even by a menial worker in a hotel, and you picked up the phone and called the Hajj ministry, which is a very public phone number, um, the Hajj ministry and the government takes these things very, very seriously. So yes, I think that the number of people that are going there is going to cause, you know, is going to be a real challenge. But I also think that, you know, they are, they are working towards um, alleviating some of those concerns, um, building entirely new airports, you know, in the upcoming years, uh, Jeddah airport, which is where everyone, most people fly into will actually be out of commission for Hajis. It'll all be directly arriving into Medina airport and then the new train system taking you to Mecca and so on and so forth. So they're, they're definitely thinking about this and they have, they have consultants uh, that are helping them do this. So are there shortcomings? Absolutely. There's probably many, many shortcomings. But uh, someone who has experienced this for the last two decades over my journeys there personally and professionally, I'll tell you that uh, when it comes to the Hajj and Umrah experience, um, you know, they, they've done a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, as someone who believes, um, as, as a Muslim who has read about the Prophet and, you know, has prayed towards the Kaaba in Mecca, for years and years to be able to just see the, see that, be there, know that there's history attached to this. It's just spiritually very, very powerful. It's, it sort of makes everything real, if you get what I'm trying to say. Like, it's real. It happened. It was here. This is what it is. And so that's, that's, that's a really, it's, it's really powerful. It's really powerful. And part of the preparation, you know, just kind of technical issues. I really liked your story about um, the person who had saved all of his halal income um, to be able to do that. <clears throat> but one question that I, that I had was um, very technical, but a lot of us in America, you know, have outstanding mortgages, we have auto loans and, and those type of things. What is the relationship between having debt and then going for Hajj? You know, there's varying opinions as to, you know, what kind of debt you should or should not be looking at. Uh, when it comes to things like paying zakat or performing hajj. Um, generally, you know, I like to remind people that any long-term debt that you have on which you're simply making your minimum monthly installments, be it a mortgage or a car payment, then that debt should not be taken into consideration as long as you have savings along with it. Now, clearly, if someone has a mortgage, and we will assume that it's 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 a Sharia compliant mortgage, right? Before someone jumps on this, um, but you know you have a Sharia compliant house mortgage, and um, every bit of your savings, um, monthly, annually, you're putting into your uh, mortgage because you want to get rid of that you know that debt sooner than later, and you have very little or no savings, then of course you know no obligation. Um, at all. But ultimately, if you end up having savings, and many people do, you know, we have, we pay our mortgage, we make our car payments, we make our student payment, student loan payments. And despite that, we have savings. Uh, in fact, we have a substantial amount of savings uh, because of the way our financial system has been set up here. Um, and people use that money. You know, when you have savings, you're going on vacation, you are buying a new car, whatever, you know, however, it's your money, you can spend it however you like. And so if you are able to have those savings, then I personally believe that if you have savings enough for you to be able to perform Hajj, that Hajj becomes an obligation on you. And this is the opinion of the vast majority of the scholars in the West. 
that if you have savings despite your loans, then you should uh, go for Hajj. Now, someone may say, well, I want to be completely debt-free before I go for Hajj. Then this would mean that you need to be actively working towards paying off your mortgage and not just making those minimum monthly payments and waiting for 15, 20, or 30 years or whatever it is, uh, and then say, I'm going to go for Hajj uh, then right? If, if that's the case, then you might as well take all your bonuses and all your extra savings and curb down your regular day-to-day expenses and say, you know what, I'm going to pay off my loan in an X amount of years so that I can go and perform Hajj debt-free. That would be the day, way to do it. But if that's not going to be the case, then you should definitely, you know, putting together the, the average Hajj these days costs around ten dollars to $12,000, right? Um, and so putting that kind of a money together uh, for most people who are working and have decent jobs, um, it's it's it is it's a decent chunk of money. Don't get me wrong, but if we were to set our minds and hearts towards it and had a goal towards it, it's possible. You know, I have a lot of younger couples who come to me and say, you know, can you give us six months to pay the money? And every month, you know, they they become very principled in terms of their expenses and spending. And believe it or not, like three and a half, four months later, it's come through. I've had, again, I can share so many stories with you of people who made the intention, did not necessarily have the full means, but knew that somehow they would make it happen and they made it happen. Chris, you had a question. I'm sorry. Yeah. I wanted to ask about the relationship between Zakat and Hajj and, you know, should Zakat be paid before the saving for Hajj begins? And do you, do you pay Zakat on Hajj savings? Yeah. Are you sure you're not Muslim? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a very, you just asked a very technical question. Uh, but of course, you've been in this line of work, so I wouldn't expect anything less of you. Um, as far, so the obligation of zakat comes before the obligation of hajj. Uh, because zakat is an annual obligation, and it's an obligation on money that you've already earned. As far as the obligation of hajj, it only becomes an obligation if you are physically and financially able to perform it. So the, the, the obligation of zakat definitely comes before hajj. And then of course, hajj is more of an individual obligation where zakat is a communal obligation. And you know we are, we are required to look after our community. So that's another reason. Um, as far as, as zakat on hajj savings, so any savings that you have, whether they be for hajj or otherwise, would be treated similarly as you would um, for zakat purposes, uh, any other uh, savings. And then also the other thing is, is that, I mean, I, I, and we're getting into this now would be, you know, how do you uh, begin to be able to save for that? And I think in the, in the stories of, of, you know, making your intention and trying to save that $12,000 within six months, you know, obviously the, the probably you have payments along the way that you need to make. So you need to keep that Absolutely. money very liquid. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, you know, opening up like a, you know, halal bank account, making sure the money is, is there, you know, being, being invested, that's perfectly fine. But there are a lot of people who, you know, are, are thinking, you know what, I can probably end up saving 50 to $100 a month. And it might take them a little bit longer to do that, which is perfectly fine. Absolutely. Um, you know, to, because you may, now as you begin to save that money, your intention is already there. Every mm-hmm. month you're putting your money, your intention is there that you're going to mm-hmm. be eventually mm-hmm. doing that, whether it takes the five years or, or, or even maybe even longer than that. Um, you know, then you have uh, um, other options besides just putting into the into the bank account. Yeah. And the reason I, I say that is because the the cost of Hajj over the past, you know, let's say, ten years, has been far outpaced uh, outpacing the inflation rate. 
mm -hmm. uh, in the U.S. And so, you know, if you're just going to be putting your money into the bank account, it's going to be a long time before you actually can actually really be able to afford it. And sometimes it can be going to be something you're chasing after that you'll never be able to reach because your money's really not in going. In fact, in fact, you know what would what I would urge people to start doing when I'm is that even if like I think as as Muslims, everyone has a desire or plan to go for Hajj at some point. I'm not I'm not denying that. But for many people who haven't performed Hajj, Hajj is nowhere in their near future. So it's not like I, I don't see it in my upcoming three, four, or five years. It would it would be it would be smart of them to start putting money into a fund, fifty dollars or a hundred dollars a month, um, for two reasons. First of all, this uh, spiritually, right, making this intention with Allah, with with the Almighty, and saying, you know what, I've started a Hajj fund, uh, and then Allah says, oh, you've done your part, let me do my part. So there's the spirituality, and then secondly. Uh, whatever amount of money you have put together, it could be a few thousand dollars over the course of three, four years or whatever. Uh, when the time does come for Hajj, this becomes a fairly significant chunk of that payment. And you would do nothing but thank yourself. And really all you did was start with, like you said, $50 a month or $100 a month uh, that we could have been spending elsewhere. You know, a lot of people like to give this Starbucks coffee example. I don't do that. Uh, continue your coffee. I'm not saying stop your coffee. Uh, you know, please uh, enjoy yourselves. Yeah. Or maybe uh, maybe the other way to look at it is, I mean, when we when we're first starting off, the idea is, okay, I want to be able to save enough money to to get married. I want to save enough money to be able to get my MBA or to buy a mm -hmm. house or buy a car. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. I think part of that decision is to be, I'm going to start saving money now. So that when I have enough, I'm going to go for Hajj, whenever that, you know, that opportunity comes about. Absolutely. And, and believe it or not, you know, when we, it, you know, in our, in our deen, in our faith, in our tradition, we clearly know that intentions, you know, our, our actions are judged by our intentions. And so if we are able to begin the intention, uh, you know, the Almighty will surprise you as to what that money would become from the time you have put it in. And, you know, the amount of money you put in plus whatever else you made on it. And, you know, come the time for Hajj, you know, you, you may just be able to, as a result of your intention, uh, say, oh my God, you know what? Not only can I go myself, my spouse can come with me. And if, if we just work a little harder, maybe one of our adult children can come with us. You, you know, I mean, it's all in the intention really. And, and the Almighty would surprise you with, with his, you know, with his bounties, uh, yeah. but making that intention and working towards it, not just making the intention, but actively working towards it would be very, very powerful. Yeah, I think so. And I think just one, one thing to add to that, I mean, I think just from, from a mechanism per perspective, um, you know, I think, like I said, if you're, if you're planning on going for Hajj, saving enough money, you have the wherewithal to do it for this year or next year, uh, you know, leaving the money in, in, in a halal savings account um, is probably Absolutely. your best bet. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think if you're looking a bit long, long term than that, if you're a younger person, you know, um, uh, just a regular uh, uh, account where you can uh, begin to save money, um, uh, you know, would, would be good. Fifty dollars, hundred dollars a month. And you'll be surprised because the money's going to keep growing uh, based on the rate of the market. Uh, however, if you're older, one of the things that you can do, and I, I would recommend that because you can actually get some tax benefit from it, is to actually open up a Roth IRA and put money there to be able to eventually save for Hajj. And the reason why I say that 
is because the contributions into a Roth are actually when you take them after five years, you can take them out whatever, whenever you want. And if you're actually closer to the age of retirement, which is above 59 and a half, and a lot of people do go when they're older than that, then you can take all of the money out of your Roth account tax-free and be able to perform the Hajj. So it's, it's actually a good, good, good method. So if you're 50, 55 years old, you know, 59 and a half, you can continue to work, but after that point, whatever money you take out of it is, is going to be something that's going to be uh, a tax-free for, for you to be able to do. Um, um, the one thing that I did want to mention you know, is, is that um, we do have a Hajj calculator on our website. So you can actually go in and say, you know, I'd like to be able to go for Hajj in 10 years uh, based on the, the, the rate of, of, of whatever the return is. It'll tell you how much you should be saving Oh, wow. That's for, really uh, for, for, you know, on a monthly basis to be able to do that. You know, I, it's just, uh, you know, facilitating it for people, facilitating it for people. And, and, you know, we save, we save money for all kinds of things. Um, why, why not put uh, our savings to use? And like you mentioned, if you, if you have larger amounts of money that you want to set aside and you can make a little bit of money off of it or be able to, um, save in taxes and so on and so forth. Why not? You know, or, you know, it's, it's always good to be smart with, with money and there's ways around it. So we talked about, and now we've been talking about uh, debt and savings and those type of things. And we're, we kind of always caveat it with this idea of it has to be halal and that type of thing. But what if it's not? What if you uh, do have a mortgage that's on, 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 on a conventional? What if you do have, you're trying to save in a conventional bank or a conventional fund or something like that? you know, there's two things here. First of all, just because you have a conventional mortgage or a conventional interest bearing loan, your income is still halal. You've just chosen to be, you know, you, you have an opinion different than that of many others, and you have chosen to enter into a contract uh, differently. But that doesn't mean your income is haram. That still means Hajj is an obligation. You could have an interest bearing mortgage, and despite that, Hajj would still be an obligation right? An interest-bearing mortgage does not negate the obligation of Hajj. That's a good point. Now, maybe the question could be, what if your income is haram? So what if, you know, the money that you're making comes from avenues that, you know, uh, our Islamic law doesn't allow you to be in that kind of a profession? Um, I would, I would still, you know, while it's very important and crucial that we use our halal income to go for Hajj, um, I would still say, go for Hajj, um, because you know, being in the presence of the Almighty, being in that state of submission, being in ibadah and that day, you know, most people come back completely renewed and refreshed, and uh, you know, you will come back. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will open the doors of his sustenance for you so that the fear that you have of your sustenance in leaving the current work that you are in would become alleviated as a result of your dua at Hajj. Allah would open out of his bounty and blessings doors of rizq for you that you never thought or had seen available to you but as a result of your hajj and your dua on the day of arafah allah opened those doors so absolutely uh, that, that's really i think the one the one side we talked about this idea of the of the of the uh, of the of the, of the non-compliant mortgages and, and the obligation for hajj doesn't go away we talked about this idea of the you know your halal income and i think that was beautifully said that you know allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, will may, maybe give you that realization you need to change and then open up the doors of risk in the middle of it is also the idea that 
um, you know, what do you do with the savings that you have and, and how do you keep that halal? And there's many alternatives that are available um, uh, to, to do that. So it's, it's more a matter of kind of halfway in the between, which is, you know, now you're saving the money. What do you do with that money as far as this, uh, how do you save it? And, 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 and like I said, there's multiple alternatives to be able to do something, um, uh, save in a halal way to be able to uh, eventually lead, lead, lead you to that goal. Of being absolutely. able to perform the hajj. Absolutely. So. You know, just because, and you know, I'm, just because someone's method of income is haram or doubtful, that doesn't mean that they can't do things with their money in the right way. Uh, just because it's haram income doesn't mean, so it's, it's almost like someone has a haram means of income. And now they're like, well, because my income is haram to begin with, I'm going to go to Vegas every month to gamble it all. You know, it doesn't work that way, right? Uh, you know, that person could still be contributing to uh, good works and good causes. Um, and I'm not, you know, and, and as a result of that, uh, you know, Allah would, Allah would say, you know, you've done so much good uh, that as a result of that, here, let me open the doors of my risk for you. And so, on. so it's always, always asking and seeking the mercy of the Almighty and, and doing good with whatever we have. And then, of course, uh, praying to Allah. You know, I, I remember this was some years ago, I performed Hajj with an individual who uh, owned um, some liquor stores, uh, you know, which unfortunately is, is, uh, is common in, in, in our community. Um, and he owned some liquor stores and, you know, he just had this, uh, and he didn't, he didn't think much of it at the time, you know, you know, he would just argue and say, this is my means of income. There's nothing else that I can do. And I have a family to raise and so on and so forth. And he came to Hajj and he just had this uh, stark realization one day and said that, you know what, I am, um, I'm going to make dua to Allah for Allah to change things for me. And lo and behold, he came back. And um, before you know it, he had opened up almost three dozen cell phone stores um, over time, of course, but it was that prayer. It was that intention. And so yeah. we, we believe in divine assistance and divine mercy. So this should not negate that you, you know, yes, if you have the option of using that income and putting it into a halal savings account or a halal investment account, absolutely. Uh, if you can go to perform something like Hajj, why not? You know, one, one thing that we face during this time, right before the Hajj comes, is people call us up and say, do you know of a good lawyer that can help me write my will, right? Uh, because a lot of people want to take care of their, obviously, their affairs before that. Absolutely. But we know from a Hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that you shouldn't go three days without, three nights without uh, writing will. So well, my only encouragement, because hopefully we're going to get this out before the Hajj season would be, make those calls. I mean, take care of your will and your estate planning situation, even if you're not going to go for us this year. It's something that's you know, important and, to do. And you know, very recently, in fact, about 10 days ago, I was speaking to uh, um, a, a specialist when it comes to, um, you know, wills according to Islamic law. Um, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. There's a lot of, you know, uh, just, just trying to figure out how you're going to make it happen and so on. So it's not as easy. A lot of people, and Munim, you know this far better than I do. A lot of people kind of go online uh, uh, download this template that's available and just kind of sign it and think that they fulfilled their obligation. Clearly, you and I both know uh, that's not going to stand in the court of law. There's just so, there, you know, there's, a, and it's not just about Islamic laws, but it's about the laws of the land that we live in uh, and, and making sure that it's done right. As far as the distribution, the distribution is pretty simple, but even the distribution can be managed according to your uh, desires to a certain extent. 
and people should know about this. So, you know, our children are, are well taken care of. So you're right. Even if you're not going for Hajj, uh, you should work on it. In closing, what I would like to say is that uh, Hajj is an opportunity that our generation has been afforded and made easy to us and for us uh, far more than previous generations. And in many cases, including that of our own parents. And uh, it should not be taken lightly. This opportunity to be able to perform Hajj uh, and to do it sooner than later should not be taken lightly. And uh, you know, while it may not be for you in the immediate upcoming years, uh, it's something that you know, we should all uh, pray for, uh, think about, intend, and begin our preparations. Uh, one of the biggest preparations happens to be that of our being financially prepared for it. And so if there are opportunities um, where we can begin those, um, you know, making it easy for us financially, then we should definitely start looking into those uh, so that when the time comes, um, it, would, it would be so much more easier for us. Thank you, Imam Tahir. I mean, I think this is, I, I really enjoyed having a conversation with you about Hudson. Awesome. Thank you. Know, you. And I, I really appreciate it. I know we're living through some unprecedented times, but, you know, um, there is always from, uh, you know, we're, we're people of hope. So there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Um, Absolutely. Allah Taala will make this a success for us in, in ways we don't, un- we can't imagine. So, um, you know, thank you so much for your time. Hey, no problem. Thank thanks. Uh, thanks. Uh, and pleasure meeting both of you. Okay. Assalamu alaikum. Right, take care. Wa alaikum assalam. Moni mentioned our Hudge savings calculator. You can find that at our website, saturna.com. More specifically, the URL is saturna.com slash amana slash investing dash four dash hudge. That's saturna.com slash amana slash investing dash four dash hudge. Please consider an investment's objectives, risks, charges, and expenses carefully before investing. To obtain this and other important information about the Amana Funds in a current prospectus or summary prospectus, please visit amanafunds.com or call toll-free 1-800-728-8762. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. Investing involves risk, including the risk that you could lose money. The Amana Funds limit the securities they purchase to those consistent with Islamic and sustainable principles. This limits opportunities and may affect performance. This material is for general information only and is not a research report or commentary on any investment products offered by Saturna Capital. This material should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security in any jurisdiction where such an offer or solicitation would be illegal. We do not provide tax accounting or legal advice to our clients and all investors are advised to consult with their tax accounting or legal advisors regarding any potential investment. Investors should not assume that investments in the securities and or sectors described were or will be profitable. This podcast is prepared based on information Saturna Capital deems reliable. However, Saturna Capital does not warrant the accuracy or completeness of the information. Investors should consult with a financial advisor prior to making an investment decision. The views and information discussed in this commentary are at a specific point in time, are subject to change, and may not reflect the views of the firm as a whole. All material presented in this publication, unless specifically indicated otherwise, is under copyright to Saturna. No part of this publication may be altered in any way copied or distributed without the prior express written permission of Saturna Capital. IRA distributions before age 59 and a half may be subject to a 10% penalty. IRA distributions may be taxable. While there are no account fees for IRA accounts, ongoing investments in mutual funds are subject to expenses. See the prospectus for further details.